Hello, my name is Wendy Myers. Welcome to the Myers Detox Podcast. You can check me out, my work at MyersDetox.com. Today we have a very important show for you. We have Dr. Beth O'Hara, who is gonna be talking about mast cell activation, how that relates to histamine intolerance and getting healthy in a toxic world and why uh, toxins and detox issues can dramatically impact and cause immune system issues like mast cell activation syndrome and histamine intolerance. It's a big cause of this form of immune system malfunction. We'll talk about how to recognize it and some solutions, what to do about it. And uh, Dr. O'Hara, she specializes in mast cell activation syndrome because she suffered from this herself for so many years and she's a foremost expert on it. And we're gonna be talking about why mast cell activation is on the rise, hint, hint, toxins. And if you have a lot of food sensitivity issues and can only handle you know, a handful of foods, you can only eat five or 10 or 20 foods, you want to be looking into mast cell activation syndrome and addressing this so that you can incorporate more foods into your diet. We'll talk about what triggers mast cell activation syndrome, where to get a comprehensive list of high histamine foods. Some people have high histamine, have they have histamine intolerance, some people have oxalate issues, some people have mast cell activation syndrome, some people have all of the above. So the doctor's gonna be talking about how to differentiate between those and how to systematically go about figuring out what you have. And we'll also, like I said, talk about what to do if you suspect mast cell activation syndrome or histamine intolerance. And I know you guys listening to this show are concerned about toxins and concerned about the levels of toxins in your body. I created a quiz called heavymetalsquiz.com. You can go there and take a two minute quiz and after you take it, you get your results and you get a free video series that talk about detox toxins, where to start, what to do, and answer a lot of questions that people have about where to start when it comes to detox, because there's a lot to it. If you guys listening to this podcast uh, may have gathered, but the video series helps to get you started on your path, on your detox journey, on your road to healing. So check that out at heavymetalsquiz.com. Our guest today, Dr. Beth O'Hara, she is a functional naturopath specializing in complex chronic health conditions related to mast cell activation syndrome and histamine intolerance, including food sensitivities, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, mold toxicity, chemical sensitivities, and autism spectrum disorders. She's the founder and owner of Mast Cell 360, a functional naturopathy practice designed to look at all factors surrounding health conditions, genetic, biochemical, emotional, and environmental. She designed Mast Cell 360 to be the kind of practice she wished that she had, had existed when she was severely ill with mast cell activation syndrome. 
Through her mast cell 360 root cause process, her clients regain their health and get their lives back. She holds a doctorate in functional naturopathy, a master's degree in marriage and family therapy, and a bachelor's degree in physiological psychology. She is certified in functional genomic analysis and is a research advisor for the Nutra Genetic Research Institute. She presents at the Functional Medicine Conference on Mast Cell Activation and, or Conferences and Histamine Intolerance, as well as training functional medical practitioners in the use of genetics and biochemistry in these chronic health conditions. You can learn more about Dr. O'Hara and her work at mastcell360.com. Beth, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Wendy. I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about today. I think it's going to be a game changer for a lot of people. Yes. And, you know, a lot of people that I've met, a lot of uh, clients suffering have mast cell activation. They don't really know what's wrong with them. They don't know what it's called. They don't know what's causing it. The conventional medical doctors have no clue about this. So it's a really important conversation to have. But first, why don't we start with your story uh, and your suffering and how you came to you know, be an expert on mast cell activation? Sure. Well, I like to share my story because a lot of people can relate to it. And here's why. So we hear that the gold standard in healthcare is measured by whether or not your protocol can help 80% of people that come through your door um, as a healthcare, pra- healthcare practitioner. But that means 20% of people fall through the cracks and they don't get the help that they need. And that's due to genetics and block detox pathways, and really specifically due to unidentified root causes. And this means that a lot of people don't get the help they need. And unfortunately, there's so many practitioners out there that just still aren't looking for root causes. And that's not good enough for me um, because we can do better. And also because I was also always in that 20% that fell through the cracks. So I was never really well as a child. I grew up in the country. We didn't know at the time that the farmhouse was full of mold. Um, of course, I was running out in the field, so I was covered in ticks a lot. You got a lot of tick bites. So I ended up contracting Lyme and Bartonella and Babesia at a young age. I know that's symptom-wise, but I wasn't tested for it ever back then. And then I started getting all these weird symptoms. So when you grow up in the country, you end up, um, usually grow green beans and you can them. And I ended up covered in hives from picking the green beans or from feeding chicken, the corn to the chickens. And I'd be so itchy. I just scratched my skin till it was bleeding. Mm. I ended up with asthma at a young age. I had a lot of digestive problems. I was always really tired. And I just, my mom took me from doctor to doctor to doctor, and they put me on all these medications. So as a young age, I was on more medications than both my parents put together. Mm. And as it went on, I ended up with chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia and all these allergic reactions and acid reflux. And then I ended up with anxiety and really severe insomnia. Mm. And what we now know is that I had mast cell activation syndrome and histamine intolerance and chronic Lyme and mold toxicity. How I got into working with all of this 
So when I was six, I decided I was going to be a doctor. I was just like super single focused. And when I was 16, all I wanted was Grey's Anatomy. And um, I pushed my way through college, but when it was time to go to medical school, I just couldn't function anymore. My body just crashed. And I had a couple of scholarship offers. I had to turn them all down. And I was just devastated because I didn't know what I was going to do. And instead of becoming a physician, I learned how to be a severely chronically ill patient. Mm, And so I stayed on that circuit with Western medicine. I did holistic medicine. I did homeopathy. Um, I did emotional healing. I did shaman work, everything I could come up with. I was very involved in yoga and became a yoga therapist, but I still was getting more ill. And I finally made my way to the most experienced functional medicine practitioner who at that point told me, we worked together for maybe three years. And of course we did things like L-glutamine to help heal my gut, but that made me more anxious and gave me insomnia. And then we tried curcumin for inflammation that made me more inflamed. And at that point I was mostly bedridden. I could barely work and I had to walk with a cane and I could barely walk even with a cane. I was in excruciating joint pain nonstop. And one of the worst one of the worst cases of insomnia even still I've ever seen. And when he told me that he didn't know what else to do for me, I had seen over 50 practitioners and spent well over $150,000. And I knew if I was going to live, I was going to have to figure this out. And I got kind of had this lucky break. So a friend of mine told me about 23andMe, and this was eight years ago. So genetic analysis was really new. And she said, I think you'll find some answers there. And we were looking at about 60 variants at that time. Now we're up to over 10,000. So it's just grown exponentially. But I just dove into that because I knew that was going to reveal some things. And I found that my detox pathways had a lot of genetic variants there, genetic variants for high glutamate, which meant was why the glutamine wouldn't work. I was overmethylated, which is why I couldn't do the curcumin. So all these pieces started coming together and I started getting my life back. I figured out my joint pain was oxalates, which are in certain plants and going on a low oxalate diet. I was off that cane in two weeks and my energy started coming back. My brain started coming back and eventually I was able to go back to graduate school and become a functional naturopath, which and specializing in, in the mast activation syndrome, the histamine intolerance, and these triggering conditions like mast, um, like mold toxicity, um, chronic infections, genetic issues, um, looking at detox. And so now I'm healthier than I've been ever in my life. So I'm really excited to get to say that. That just sounds so harrowing. You know, where you just, and there's a lot of stories like that of people just go to yeah. doctor to doctor to doctor and test after test and no one can figure out what is wrong with them. It's awful. It really was a nightmare. And um, it's sometimes hard to talk about this piece, but um, the way I got through was thinking about that one day I was going to die and the pain would be over. Mm -hmm. 
because it was so awful and it feels like it was a different lifetime ago Um, because I don't have, I don't have any of those symptoms anymore. I don't, um, I don't have the fatigue. I have to take care of my body and I can't eat fast food and, you know, I can't eat super high histamine foods, but I was down to 20 foods at one point, 30 if you counted salt, pepper and the herbs I could eat. And now I have a wide variety of foods and I don't have anxiety. I sleep well, you know, 29 nights out of 30. And so it's, it's been a huge change. And that's what I see in my practice too, when we really take this root cause approach. So I've been able to get that 80% gold standard to 90, 95%. And I think that's more where we need to be. That's what we have the tools for is we can help 95% of people. The other 5% I find um, are people that aren't ready or able to do the work they need to do to recover their health, which can be understandable because it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work for me. It's a lot of work for my clients to come through. But when people show up and they're ready and willing to do that work, they get better. People that are housebound get back to traveling, going to visit their kids. It's, it's amazing what we can do when we can land on those root components. And I think that's the key. And detox is a big part of that. Yeah. So let's talk about mast cell activation syndrome. So this is a malfunction of the immune system. Um, but why don't you just lay out exactly what it is and what the symptoms are? Yeah, let's start with the symptoms because people are always asking, you know, could this, could this be me? And then we'll talk about the mast cells and, and what they are. So symptoms people should be thinking about, they're different presentation types. The classic that's recognized the most is flushing after high histamine foods like wine or beer, even spinach, strawberries, pineapple. Um, allergy kind of symptoms, post-nasal drip, itchy eyes, hives, nasal congestion. Also, people can have GI issues, sleep issues, breathing issues like asthma. And then there are people who don't have the classic allergy kind of symptoms, hay fever kind of symptoms. And those people fall through the cracks even more because there's a misperception out of out there and I have a lot of people come in and say, well, my allergist told me or my immunologist told me if I don't have itching, if I don't have allergies and I don't have post-nasal drip, then I can't have mast cell activation syndrome. And that's not true. So I have a client, um, I'll call her Jane because I won't use her real name, but she has sleep issues. She has nerve pain and digestive issues, but no skin symptoms, no, none of the nasal sinus. So why do we have such wide variety of symptoms? It's because the mast cells are present in almost all of the tissues in the body, and it depends on which tissues are being affected and which collection of cells are being affected. And the mast cell activation syndrome, it's estimated that it's affecting between nine and 17% of the population. And so that's at least one in 10 people. What we're finding in the chronically ill population is it's at least 50%. So one in two, which is a lot. And this is happening because these mast cells are like the frontline defenders of the immune system. 
And kind of like if we think of them as the guards of the castle, guarding the gates, and their job is to recognize when invaders are coming in, they create inflammation to surround that invader, whether it's a virus, a bacteria, mold, um, or even some kind of allergen or toxin, like a chemical that we shouldn't be in the body. And then they signal to the rest of the immune system and orchestrate the rest of the immune response. And these mast cells are really fascinating cells because they have all of these different, so about 200 or more receptors on the outside that can respond to different things coming in from the environment. And then they have over 200 different mediators, inflammatory mediators that they can selectively release depending on what's going on. So they're extremely critical in the body. They get kind of a bad rap in terms of um, class or like traditional medicine talking about mass activation syndrome, but they're really necessary for survival. We can't really survive well without them. But what's happening is we're living in this extremely toxic environment, and so they're constantly bombarded. So if we think about just a human being that's a guard to a castle, they should work an eight-hour shift and then go relax, and they're probably not going to be constant invaders. They would just turn away what come, tries to come into the castle shouldn't be there, and then let in whatever's, you know, the food delivery people, those kinds of things. But if they have to do battle 24-7, nonstop, they start to get dysregulated. And instead of recognizing what is a friend and what's an enemy, they start to shoot at the butterflies, is how I describe it. So they start to shoot at things like um, normal foods. People start getting food reactions. Um, people start reacting more to stress. And then we get these um, strange kind of symptom presentations that can be really varied. Yeah. And I, I know we have, we've all had those clients that can eat five foods or 10 foods or 20 foods and are just so frustrated and they think it's the food. They think right. that they're just, there's something like they just can't eat these foods and it's really a much deeper problem and so so how uh so what's why is this on the rise like because i'm seeing more and more clients with this and uh hearing other practitioners talk about this leaky cells they can call them leaky cells um so why is this on the rise and how do toxins contribute to this health issue so there are a few different factors to it. One is that we live in a more toxic world than we ever have before. So we have pollution from industry. We've got car exhaust pollution. We have toxic products we bring onto our homes that we don't even think about. So like off-gassing from that new couch. Or I bought um, like a, a, a small kind of table and it was a side table and I thought it was going to be fine. We unboxed it. It was so intense. The smell, it made my eyes burn. And my mm. husband, who's not that sensitive, he couldn't handle it being in the room. Wow. We had to put it in the Where'd garage you get for this two table? weeks. I got it on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, lesson learned there. Um, Don't buy supplements or side tables on Amazon. Exactly. But it matched the kitchen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
But also other things we don't think about, all these fragrance products, um, fragrance candles, fragrance, um, even like all of the deodorants have fragrance. And then, you know, we can get into the aluminum issue and blocking the sweat glands. But fragrance is a big immune disruptor. A lot of um, cleaning products, conventional personal care and cleaning products, these aren't regulated at all. And they're very toxic. And then we have poor nutrition, both with processed diets, standard American diets, but we also inherit the nutritional status of our parents. So now we have three generations, uh, maybe four, you know, as we start to think about the younger children that we're seeing that, I mean, I've got kids in my practice that are three years old and they're going into anaphylaxis and um, having these really extreme reactions where their throat starts to close up and they can't breathe. And, and we check their micronutrients and they're just tanked. And then we have more electromagnetic exposure. So this is new. So all of this electromagnetic exposure from our cell phones and from Wi-Fi and laptops. And there's clear evidence, clear research now that these electromagnetic fields degranulate the mast cells. And a lot's been done on the mast cells in the brain. This is a big contributor to autism. And then we have research that's showing that mold is growing up to 600 times faster in the presence of these electronics and these fields. And so where the normal levels of mold that we've lived with since human beings have been on the planet didn't bother people very much, now we're getting just a super extreme growth and the body can't keep up with it. And I think our medication use is another part of the problem. So we use a lot of um, acid blockers. So that's a type of antihistamine, that H2 antihistamine. So these are things like Zyrtec, Tagamet, and, or Zantac and Tagamet. And these block histamine in the stomach, and then they, we have the H1 blockers, so things like Claritin, Allegra, but also Benadryl. And what happens with these medications is they block the histamine receptors, and then the body thinks it has less histamine, so it starts producing more histamine. Mm. And histamine is a mast cell mediator, the mast cells create it. And then the, that histamine level triggers the mast cells to produce even more inflammation. So it becomes a snowball effect. Also, it's happening God, there's is... There's so many people on stomach acid blockers. Right. So it's one of the top people. prescribed medications. And then yeah. the proton pump inhibitors are even more of an issue. And the other thing that's happening with these medications that dampen down the histamine and the mast cell response, if that's all we're doing, the mast cells are what protect us from infections. And I think that's why I got so sick. I was on so many antihistamine medications and steroids and things like that that were dampening my immune response to the mold toxicity, the limes, the Babesia, the Bartonella in my body. And it was able to just go unchecked because there was no guard at the gate anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I had a lot of allergies and I grew up on my whole teen life 
was on antihistamines because mm, it's just mm-hmm. I was con- chronic runny nose and you know felt like I had allergies and I just w- lived on it just took it every yeah. day without even thinking and it's, it's not a wonder I'm not I wasn't more sick um, they, but right. yeah and so uh, so how is the mast cell activation related to histamine intolerance and because I know a lot of people I have identified histamines and then look to avoid high histamine foods. Can you explain the relationship and why? Uh, we'll talk about the histamine foods in a second, but let's talk about the relationship right now between histamine intolerance and mast cell activation syndrome. Sure. So they are related, but they're separate. So the mast cells will produce histamine. And we can also have a buildup of histamine in our bodies from these histamine foods that we'll talk about, high histamine foods. So mass activation syndrome is specifically where the mast cells are dysregulated and involves all of these different mediators. So, oh, this 200 plus mediators, including histamine. We just know of histamine the best, but there are many others. And histamine intolerance specifically is the inability to break down histamine fast enough, and so histamine raises in the body. So there are a few different biochemical pathways. So some people that listen to a lot of podcasts like this may have heard of diamine oxidase. So that's produced in the gut. And then there's one called HNMT, histamine N-methyltransferase, and that works more systemically and works in the brain. And it's dependent on methylation. So if methylation is affected, then that HNMT isn't going to function. And then there's some other pathways. Um, acetylation is a phase two detox pathway that also breaks down histamine. And there's some other enzymes that are involved as that goes along. So we can have genetic issues that mean we don't produce enough um, of those enzymes any gut infection is going to affect the ability to produce that diamine oxidase enzyme in the gut. So even if I see people with absolutely no genetic variants, but we check their diamine oxidase levels and they're tanked. And so we clamp the gut and it comes back online. So that's the good thing. And then if we have a lot of toxicity, the toxins can use up some of these pathways. So all of the methyl groups may be used up. And so we can't use that HNMT pathway. Or um, if we've got a lot of chemical toxins clogging the acetylation pathway, it's not available. It's a more minor um, histamine degrader, but it, it is there. So people can have just one or the other, or they can have both. And when you have both, it's more debilitating. So typically histamine intolerance on its own is annoying. It causes some issues, but um, it's not as severe as the mass activation syndrome. And then people who have both like I do, we have a lot more symptoms and a lot more trouble. One of the ways, so it takes a lot of teasing out to figure out the differences and a lot of people think they just have histamine intolerance actually have both. I thought I just had histamine intolerance in the beginning. And one of the differences with mast cell activation syndrome, you get a larger breadth of 
um, symptoms and also triggers like just smelling fragrance will set it off, set off the symptoms. I have people who as soon as they put food in their mouth, their hands start to swell Hmm. and they haven't even finished chewing or swallowing or they start to get gut symptoms. They have to run to the bathroom. So those are typically associated with mast cell activation syndrome. Yes. And so people that have histamine intolerance, let's talk about some of the foods that are high histamine. There's also a great app too. There's an app you can look up uh, It's uh, for food intolerances and histamine intolerance that will list all the foods. So it takes the guesswork out of that. Um, but let's talk about some of the foods that if you have histamine intolerance, you want to avoid or reduce. Yeah. So if you just have histamine intolerance, you just have to look at histamine. And so the higher histamine foods include things like anything aged or fermented. And so this is one of the ways I got in trouble when I was getting really um, into researching for my health and trying to improve my health. I got involved with the Weston Price movement, which is based on a lot of fermentation I was making my own kombucha, my own kefir. Um, I was making my own bone broths all of the time and lots of ferments, so lots of kimchi. So my kitchen looked like a little mini lab, food lab. And um, it's a great way of looking at the way that we used to eat and ancestral eating in particular, but I, we didn't know about overdoing it back then. And I was getting worse and worse, more itchy, more acid reflux. And so all of those are high histamine foods. And so those wonderful things we think about healing the gut, if you have histamine intolerance, those actually make the gut worse. So I'm not saying they're bad across the board. If people don't have histamine intolerance, absolutely do those. And they're wonderful gut healers. But if you have histamine intolerance, you're not going to feel as good on those. Most of the things we wouldn't think about, like we talked about before, spinach is high histamine, pineapple, strawberries, beef, and most bison, um, they're aged for two weeks, so they're hung to make them more tender, but the bacteria build and bacteria will produce histamine. That's also why we get it in the fermented foods. So those are some of the big ones, peanuts, cashews, walnuts are higher histamine, and then People with mast cell activation syndrome have to often think about another category of food called lectins. They're protein in certain foods, especially the new world foods like the nightshades, tomatoes and eggplants, pumpkin squashes, sunflower seeds, pumpkin seeds, a lot of grains. So some people who actually aren't gluten intolerant but react to wheat, wheat's very high in lectins. And then there's the other category, the oxalates I mentioned earlier, which are in other plants. So they're high in spinach and Swiss chard and sweet potatoes. And that's why I was on the cane. I was eating so many high oxalate foods. And oxalates look like tiny little razor blades or shards of glass under a microscope. And that's what happens, and they can deposit in the joints. They're most known for kidney stones, but it's only about 1% of oxalate issues. Other than that, they'll deposit in the joints. They'll cause interstitial cystitis. And those, all of these trigger the mast cells. Mm -hmm. So I do have a really good food list that looks at the histamine liberators 
um, and the high histamine foods and also flags the oxalate and lectin foods. So if people are interested in that, they can find that on my website. Yeah, what's your website again? It's masscell360.com. And then for the food list, there's a section that says, there's a menu item that says MCAS. And under that, it says resources. And it's right there at the top, the, the food list. And that's a really solid one based in research. Fantastic. And that, that's so important to experiment with these foods, remove them from your diet, do a food elimination and a challenge and see if your symptoms disappear. When you were talking, I'm thinking, oh, my fiance, he has histamine intolerance. That's why Mm. he's having GERD and itchiness and other kinds of symptoms. I'm like, just a light bulb went off for me. Um, But yeah, 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 he's just having a lot of uh, acid reflux and he can't figure out what's going on, but it's just a light bulb went off for me. Yeah, it'll come up. Listing a lot, all these like, foods. It's right. eating, that's all he's eating: a pineapple, <laughs> beef. <laughs> right, exactly. Or you know, people will. Um, he probably eats much more healthier than a lot of people. But sometimes people start to get symptoms because they go out and they have, you know, shrimp cocktail before dinner, and they have a glass of beer or, or a glass of wine, and then maybe they have something's got some pineapple, or they have a steak with dinner, and then they have these symptoms and can't figure out why. And then the next night they eat something totally different. And what's also tricky about it is it can take up to two to three days for the symptoms to show up. So it can get a little hard to track. So I have people start with a lower histamine diet and just keep that food journal and see what's happening and see what clears up there. Yeah. Yeah. And then the fermented foods, like you said, so many people are eating them thinking that they're healthy and, uh, but they can cause problems for, for, and bone broth, bone broth proteins are really popular. And that's just the kiss of death for some people. But, you know, one, one man's, uh, 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 one man's, um, you know, panacea is another man's poison. So just cause it's healthy, a healthy food doesn't mean it's healthy for you. Um, but one distinction I wanted to make is there's a lot of supplements coming out on the market that are fermented, but the bacteria aren't allowed to stay alive, like in powders. So like the fermented supplements tend to be okay as far as histamine are concerned, as far as as my knowledge is concerned. It depends on which bacteria they are. Some bacteria are, histamine increasing and some are histamine decreasing. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, there's a nasal probiotic called L-Sakii. And that um, nasal probiotic is really helpful in people that have these kinds of issues. Uh, However, um, Bulgaricus and Casei are histamine raising. So people that aren't tolerating probiotics, a lot of times it's those two strains. And they're in almost all the the big blends of probiotics, things like natokinase, I find aren't well tolerated. That's an enzyme that's often used to degrade biofilm. Mm-hmm. But then we can try different biofilm degrader, and then that that works better. So we have to get really honed in. And I worry, I do worry about the bone broth movement. Now I know people that heal their guts with bone broth and ferment. So again that can be wonderful for certain people. I worry about it with it's being um, used quite a lot in the autism um, protocols. And 
autism is strongly linked, uh, mast cell activation syndrome is strongly linked in autism because autism is brain inflammation. If you have inflammation, you have mast cell involvement. And the research is clear on that link with autism as well. And then there's high glutamate into the bone broth. And so I see kids on the spectrum um, sometimes get worse on that bone broth. So we got to watch them really carefully with some of these high histamine things. Yeah. I mean, you can get too much of a good thing. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we have, we know those people out there that buy their bone broth protein powder, just go nuts with it and uh, eating it every single day or doing a greens powder that has spinach, which is great periodically. Um, Not if you have histamine intolerance or oxalate issues, but for other people still, you can get too much of a good thing. You've got to do stuff in moderation. Exactly. And eat a very, a very diet if you're able to. So, so talk to us about how someone can know if they have mast cell activation or histamine intolerance. Did, Did you answer that enough before? Did you have more you wanted to elaborate? Yeah, I think we can say a little bit more. So if there are mystery symptoms in two or more systems that no one can figure out, the baseline workup looks normal. So a complete metabolic profile, um, complete blood count, CBC and CMP. Those are the usual panels that are run and that, you know, your typical um, checkup. Those are looking normal, but nothing's making sense. That's when it's time to start thinking about it. So if you have GI issues and sleep issues, if you have um, the classic signs like itching, flushing, breathing issues, allergy symptoms, definitely. And I have a, a mast cell activation syndrome symptom survey people can check out. And you can just take that symptom survey and see what you think. And I tell people if you score more than 50 points, then you need to be looking into this. Also, if you've had any chronic infections, if you have SIBO, so these things are going to trigger mast cell activation syndrome. A lot of people have two kinds of presentations of people. So people come in and they've either been like me, they've never felt well, They haven't been well since they were kids. And so there's probably a genetic component for it for them, or they had really early toxic or pathogen exposures. And then I have people that, like I have a client, she just chucked along her life eating her hamburgers and French fries and having beer on the weekends, never had any health issues. And then she moved into a house that had toxic mold. And once she developed that mold toxicity, her health just really fell apart. Um, I have another person that never had issues and was an international athlete, like a, a competitive athlete, and then got um, Lyme infection. And he'd been pushing his body way too hard with the competitions. He couldn't fight off the Lyme. And then he was put on a lot of antibiotics and those trigger mass activation syndrome also. And then he developed it from then. Mm-hmm. So people can just take that symptom survey. And if they're thinking this might be them or they want to even just rule it out. So if you come back about 20, 25, um, might not worry about it unless you're underrepresenting your symptoms. And so you can find that at mastcell360.com. And just click on the blog, and it's pinned there at the top of the blog list. 
Okay, fantastic. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting how some people will develop, you know, acquire infections or get mold toxicity, live in a moldy environment. And it's like, what is the symptoms or the mold and what's the, the mast cell activation? You know, where what is the yeah. mold mycotoxins and what symptoms of the mast cell activation? And I don't even know if we can, it's a, it's a great question. And I don't know that we can even tease it apart Yeah, because if there's that ongoing and the mycotoxins are just so toxic and they downregulate the immune system and then they open us up to more infections. See a lot of people get mycotoxins and they end up with severe chronic um, candida issues, SIBO issues that aren't, aren't resolving, and it's because that mycotoxin layer hasn't been dealt with, or when these Lyme protocols just keep failing, uh, almost always find there's a mycotoxin layer that hasn't been addressed. They're such major immune disruptors, and so they they it's almost like the muscles have. If we think of them as having programming, it's almost like the programming gets all. Um, dysregulated and then those muscles can't function the way that they're meant to. Yeah. And let's talk about detox issues. Like people that are having problems detoxing that are wanting to detox. How are detox issues involved in mast cell activation syndrome and histamine intolerance? So anytime we don't have detox supported, we have toxins building in the body, those toxins are going to trigger the mast cells. And there's so many reasons that we could have detox issues, right? So we could have detox issues because we're exposed to a lot of things, because um, you're working in a work environment where they just remodeled and they just brought in new carpet and new furniture and painted and everything's off gassing. We can have detox issues because we don't eat well. Pathogens produce so many toxins. And then what I see often is when people do, even if they don't do antibiotics, but they did an aggressive killing protocol and detoxification wasn't supported for the die-off toxins, then they can develop mast cell activation syndrome because of that. Another big one is um, just unaddressed constipation. So those toxins are reabsorbing. Mast cells line the entire gut. And anytime those toxins are getting reabsorbed, they're gonna affect it. When people aren't drinking enough water, water is actually a natural antihistamine one of the best things that we can be doing is drinking clean water, water that's been filtered. And then I see also when there, a lot of people come in and they say they've been put on a detox protocol, but I take a look and they've been put on um, like glutathione and some B vitamins to, to support methylation, but there's no binder in there there's no bile support. And so what's happening is that glutathione is pushing the detox faster. The toxins are hitting the intestines and then they're just reabsorbing, right? Cause there's nothing there to catch it. Mm-hmm. And I know from listening to your podcast that you're talk a lot about how important those binders are. Oh, yeah. So 
your listeners know know to make sure that they're supporting that. And another area where, so a lot of detox protocols, people aren't aware of the phases of detox. So the elimination phase with the binders and supporting bile, but then there's six reactions in phase two. And then phase one, we have all those CYP450 enzymes and the PON1 enzymes. And there's hundreds of CYP450s. So detox protocols are way more complex than what um, a lot of people out there are doing. And they tie in with the mast cells. So we kind of touched on that acetylation. And if people seem to have a lot of sensitivity to cigarette smoke, that can be a clue. Like it gives them a headache. They can't stand to be around it. It's broken down by that acetylation. So that may need some extra support. And that gets supported by things like calcium pyruvate and B5. And then sulfation is one of those phase two reactions that's important in detox. So I saw um, in your store, you use the Quinton water. I love that product. And um, it's rich in sulfates. And the other cool thing about sulfates is that the mast cells use sulfates to create what's called heparin sulfate. And that's the molecule they use to stabilize themselves. So what I worry about is when people are reading, there's a lot written about genetic analysis online that is really incomplete because one, it's such a huge topic and it's such a deep topic of study. But one of the things that's out there that's a misconception is that if people have those CBS genetic variants that affect transsulfuration, and so if you haven't heard of that, that has to do with how um, homocysteine is directed down to make glutathione. And it also pushes down to a pathway called sulfation. And so there, there are things written that if you have that genetic variant, you should stop eating sulfur foods. And I actually read that early on and stopped eating sulfur foods myself because I wasn't feeling well with them. And that pathway was backing up, which may have to happen temporarily, but we don't ever want to do that long term. So the sulfur foods like cabbage, broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, even onions. Um, the, the reason is we, we're so dependent on sulfur. And I got worse and worse and worse being off the sulfur foods. And I see that with other people too. We can't detox the mast cells just go out of control because they can't make that heparin sulfate stabilize themselves. Mm-hmm. And then we have what is one of my favorite topics these days, which is the glucuronidation. And that is when I started getting into this to prepare to present at a conference. So uh, I was presenting at a conference and the conference organizer, Bob Miller said, um, which pathway do you want to present on? I said, well, I'll do acetylation and then I'll do glucuronidation. I don't know a lot about it. There's not much written on it in any of the detox text, so it should be easy to cover. And I was so wrong. So what I thought was going to be like five hours of preparation, we ended up a hundred hours of research oh, wow. mm-hmm. because there's almost nothing written in the text. I had nothing in my naturopathy graduate courses on it. I mean like a page that's it. And that's why I thought it was going to be super simple. And as I dove into it, research article after research article called it the most important detox pathway 
because it breaks down 40 to 70% of toxins, including mold toxins, toxins from pathogens, chemical toxins, medications. It breaks down estrogen. It breaks down thyroid hormone, um, bilirubin. It breaks down CBD and melatonin. So sometimes when people are reacting to these, I'll find like a pattern in there. And then it's that glucuronidation. And so when estrogen isn't breaking down and it's rising and people are, and even if estrogen's low, but people are estrogen dominant, that estrogen also triggers the mast cells to produce more histamine. Histamine causes raises in estrogen and we get another snowball effect. Yeah. And I, I thought it was really interesting that you mentioned the water that, uh, you know, when people are dehydrated, which most people are chronically dehydrated uh, because they're not drinking the right kind of water, they're not drinking properly filtered water, they're not doing the structured water, they don't have enough minerals to hold on to the water. There's lots of things people get wrong about hydration, but if you don't have enough, you're going to release more histamine. So that's the simplest, most basic thing you can do to uh, reduce histamines. Exactly. Yeah, and so so what's the first step someone should take if they suspect that they have these issues? So the first step I tell people, like people will email me and say, you know, I'm not sure if I have this, what should I do? I would take that symptom survey and then I would try the low histamine diet and maybe even try the lower oxalate, low leptin version and see if that works for you. So if the low histamine diet starts to clear it up and the symptoms are gone, that's fantastic. So then what you can do is modulate your histamine intake and then work with somebody who really understands histamine intolerance and can help figure out why. Because regardless, we want to look at the root causes of what's going on. And we don't want, a lot of these high histamine foods are high nutrient. And so we don't want to take them out forever. We want to find out what we can do to fix the underlying root causes and then hopefully increase the amount of histamine foods that we can eat so we have more variety and more nutrition. Then what some people will find is either the low histamine diet does nothing for them, and so they may have just muscle activation syndrome, or if they do low histamine, low oxalate, low lectin, they get a little bit better, but there's still a lot of symptoms, then they probably have uh, mast activation syndrome and histamine intolerance. So at that point, they wanna work, you want to work with somebody who's really specialized in this. And there are some practitioners out there, so I specialize in it. There are a few others that are really good. Unfortunately, there's not enough of us right now. Um, and there are the, there's no training right now in medical schools on this. It only got a diagnosis code three years ago. So I started working with this and, and studying it and healing myself with it uh, back eight years ago when we just had this as a theoretical stage. But I knew reading about it, like, boom, this is what I have going on. And it made all of the difference. And really, it's about drilling into what are the root triggers for that person. And there are many possibilities. So there's food triggers we talked about, like lectins and oxalates, beyond just the histamine, but also histamine. Of course, processed foods, anything like that, preservatives, colorings. 
Um, there are the different kinds of infections like mold, Lyme, chronic infections, Epstein-Barr, SIBO, and then um, toxicity where it's just built up in the body and that could be chemical toxins, metal toxins. There are genetic triggers and there are a lot. So I'm looking at over 10,000 genetic variants that can trigger these kinds of chronic issues for people. And that can also impact these different presentations that we see. Nutrient deficiencies are a big one. And especially when people have been trying really hard to figure this out on their own and they've pared themselves down to like the five foods, like you mentioned before. And when we get that low, we do not have the nutrients that we need to detox. We don't have the nutrients we need to stabilize those mast cells. And then hormone imbalances is a big one, um, especially estrogen dominance. And even women in menopause can be estrogen dominance. So if we have more estrogen than progesterone, we're estrogen dominant, even if we're not menstruating. And we talked about why that's an issue. Um, airway issues are a big one that I look for. So if people have, they could have sleep apnea or they could be like me, I'm normal weight. And, but my dental arch, that's why I have braces now. My dental arch was so narrow, there wasn't room for my tongue and my throat was blocked 70% on an x-ray standing mm -hmm. up. So it was worse lying down. And if we can't get enough oxygen, our bodies just can't work properly. Oxygen's needed for all these biochemical reactions. And then that creates this adrenaline state that causes more mast cell activation. And then I always save this one for last because people sometimes get tired of hearing about it, but stress is massive. And I tell people in my practice, if you don't manage your stress, we're only going to get you about 60% of the way. And we've got to bring in parasympathetic balancing, breathing practices, those kinds of things, learning how to stay calm when things go wrong and how to stay centered. Stress is a huge mass cell trigger. So those are the big ones and just really finding a good functional practitioner who understands it and also who doesn't tell you everything's in your head. Yeah. Unfortunately, I have new clients every single week who've been told this. It's traumatizing. I was told it repeatedly because my lab work looked normal and it's the worst thing that can be said to a chronically ill patient. Yeah. So that's why I'm on the, I get on a rant about it. Yeah, that um, just pisses me off. It does me too. It angers me because it is just uh, because someone has a limited toolkit because they're not curious. They don't ask questions. They don't seek answers for themselves or their patients. It's their fault. Right. <laughs> it's just and like it's, unbelievable to me. And it's really an excuse for not knowing. And instead of just being humble and transparent and authentic and saying, I'm so sorry, I don't know, but let me help you get to somebody who does. It's just an egoic response. Yeah. And there are even personality disorders aren't all in people's heads. That's a trauma based issue. So um, it's just, it incenses me. And you've got to find somebody who really takes you seriously, knows what they're doing, because this is extremely complex. And um, it's just impossible for people to do on their own. I have people come in and have been trying to do it on their own for five, six years, but they keep getting worse. 
But if we get them going on the right things, I have people really turn around um, anywhere from six months to if people are more severe, it might take two or three years, but they get their lives back. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's one of those things where, you know, if you're really, really ill, it, it's just going to be a longer road for you. It's going to be a longer road for detox. You know, usually if someone is very, very ill, they've got a lot of genetic issues they have to overcome. And, you know, it takes a lot of uh, trial and error to figure out what's going to work for them and get them on the road back to health. It definitely does. And I think I tell people, think about how long you've been ill and then it may take anywhere from one to five months per year, depending on how significant it is, how many genetic variants there are, how significant those are. So that takes more work. Um, how many root factors they are. So I had all seven of the root factors that I look at. And uh, if people want to read more about those, because there's so much to say about them and there's just never enough time to go into them all in depth, then I have a free report on those root causes and mass activation syndrome and all the related conditions. So if you have something related, so mass activation syndrome is related in um, chronic infections, it's related in autoimmunity, it's related in autism then that's at masscell360.com slash free report. And you can download it. It's just emailed to your inbox. And it's a several page report that just talks about each one of these. And you can really identify if this sounds like you. And if it does, then the really good thing is there are ways to get better. But I also tell people it's not for everybody because like you're saying, it is a lot of work. It takes changing your diet, changing things about your lifestyle. You have to get functional tests. You have to take supplements. But if so, there's somebody who's willing to put the work in, I haven't found someone yet out of hundreds and hundreds of people that I've worked with who haven't gotten good results and we haven't found some big puzzle pieces. But people who aren't willing to do that kind of work probably are going to have to do the pharmaceutical route like antihistamines. But we just have to know and understand that that's just masking symptoms and that mass activation syndrome will still be progressive if that's all we do. And that's exactly what happened with me. And I'm not anti-medication and there are people out there who need to use some medications and that's totally fine. But the medications for mass activation syndrome and histamine issues have a lot of side effects. And some of them like Benadryl cause dementia and then you need more and more medications over time. So that's all that we do. That just snowballs. Um, and it's not looking at the root causes. Yeah, because you mentioned the histamine is going to have a rebound effect where it ultimately makes your histamine symptoms worse. Your immune system have a worse rebound effect because it's trying to produce more histamine because they're, they're being suppressed. Exactly, exactly. But there's just, you know... Wendy, there's too many people out there who are suffering because they have been overlooked. These things have been underdiagnosed. It's hard to find good help. And if with the right help, they don't have to suffer like that. And so I had this client, um, and I'll just call her Janet. Um, so when I met her, she was completely housebound because every time she left her house, she would have a panic attack 
And what we finally figured out was that, so she started to think it was all, she thought it was in her head. So she thought she had agoraphobia and that she needed to see a psychologist. And I said, well, you know, definitely do that if you, if you feel like you need to do that. But let's also look at, I had her make a journal of what had happened when she left her house. And every time she was leaving her house, she had a fragrance exposure. And it was causing a mast cell reaction in her brain that was triggering panic attacks. And so we worked remotely. So I work with almost all my clients remotely and um, she was in another state, but we just kept working through these root causes for her. And it took about, I think it was 14 months. Her symptoms were down to 10% of what they were when we met. And she had gone to New York to see her daughter. They were there for a week. They went to see shows. We worked out a plan for what she could eat at restaurants. She got to eat out. And then she realized that it, what she thought was agoraphobia really was this, her body just knew when she left the house, she was going to get triggered. And she had so much toxicity build up in her body. She had a lot of mold toxins that she didn't know about. And when we started cleaning those out, she didn't have those reactions anymore. She didn't enjoy the smell of the fragrance or um, I've been triggered in like getting in an Uber or Lyft and they have those car Ugh, fragrance all of them. All of them. What is that? <laughs> Why do they all have the disgusting fragrances? Like it's a company policy. It's terrible. I actually sent an email to Lyft and said, you guys have should get rid of these. You know how many chemically sensitive people are out there? And and I had an asthma attack. I almost never have asthma, but I had an asthma attack getting in one a couple of years ago. So I asked them to take it and put it in the trunk, yeah. which I'm very kind when I ask. Yeah. And then they, they do it. So And then I tip them really well. But um, But these are the kinds of things that we can do and just work out a plan for like the food. So um, we can use things like diamine oxidase um, supplements to help people be able to eat and um, not be triggered and people with these kind of conditions probably aren't going to go back to having a spinach salad with strawberries and pineapple and a glass of wine and a steak all the same meal um, if they have the histamine intolerance um, but we can get back to getting to have um, really good foods variety of foods eating in healthy restaurants that make fresh foods and um, good foods. We should be able to travel. We should be able to have good quality of life. Fantastic. Yeah. So that just sounds like such an important, like your site sounds like such an important resource for so many people. Cause I mean, most of the clients that, that I see have uh, pretty significant food intolerances and mm -hmm. uh, whether they realize it or not, histamine issues and mast cell uh, issues as well. So thanks so much. That was such an informative podcast. That was so good. And I know that you're helping so many people just having a light bulb go off for them that, oh, this is what's going on with me. And now I, they have kind of a roadmap about what to do. So if anyone has is a light bulb moment for them, go to Beth's site uh, at mastcell. 360.com. So thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Wendy. I'm really excited that we can team up like this to help people. And if I can take just the nightmare journey that I had and help others with it, then it makes it worth it.
Fantastic. Well, thanks for coming on the show. And everyone, thanks so much for tuning in to the Myers Detox podcast. It's my pleasure every week to serve you, to give you information that can change your life. So I hope today was no different. So thanks for tuning in and I will talk to you guys next week.